God made man small and the universe big in order to say something about himself. It speaks about the greatness of God, not the significance of man, that proportion. Thus claims John Piper. Similarly, John Piper says, to make a man feel good about himself when he was designed to feel good about seeing God is sort of like taking him to the Alps and then locking him in a room full of mirrors. We must not downsize God, right? We were actually designed by God in a way that we require His awe-inspiring glory, His terror-striking holiness, His fearful and hopeful sovereignty. That's how humans were designed. In fact, I think the sovereignty of God is possibly one of the most daily practical doctrines within all of Scripture. It is associated with our hour-by-hour choices, isn't it? Because God is great, I don't have to be in control. Because God is master, I can rest. Because God is sovereign, I can worship. I don't have to strive for domination. I don't have to scramble for supremacy. I can obey. And with confidence, I can fight the fight of faith. And with assurance, because God is sovereign. Timothy Chester says, I regularly choose between a fantasy world where I am sovereign and a real world where God is sovereign all the time. Chapter 11 of Exodus sings of the sovereignty of God. This is a revelation of joy. It's a prehearsal of the victories of Yahweh. Yes, I just made up a word there. Here we have the last plague, the Passover. Here in chapter 11, it is foretold. Exodus will go on and give us Passover commanded and then Passover enacted. But this morning, Passover foretold. And here Yahweh begins to fill out the meaning of His name. That which He said back in chapter 6, I have not yet revealed Myself to you as Yahweh. And He goes on to explain what this new revelation of who He is as Yahweh will mean. Now He will be and ever more from this point revealed, not as just the promise giver, but as Yahweh the Deliverer, as Brian did such a great job in chapter 6 of pointing out to us. Here in chapter 11, Yahweh is prepared to unveil His final act to bring out His people. Moses, it seems, just so you know where we're at, is still standing in the presence of Pharaoh, which is where we left him at the end of last week, at the end of chapter 10 after being called in at the end of the plague of darkness. Pick up with me and let's read. Exodus starting chapter 11, starting verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh 
who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is born behind the millstones, who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants, Moses now speaking to Pharaoh directly says, all these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, go out, you and all the people with people, all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Pause there. First in our passage this morning, Yahweh speaks to Moses in the opening three verses and he tells him one last time, Moses, one more plague is what we have here in the middle of verse 1. I want you to notice and embrace three signs in this opening section of Yahweh's sovereignty that are recorded for our benefit and our blessing and our hope. And these signs will go verse by verse as they will throughout our entire passage this morning. Verse 1, notice total submission. That's the sign of Yahweh's authority. He wins and He wins completely. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague. I want you to know that usually the word talking about God's miracles in the Exodus time is the word wonders. This is the first time that the word plague itself is actually used, or the Hebrew word that's translated here, plague. But a more literal rendering is the word blow or stroke. What we have here is a hit. And Yahweh says, this will be the knockout punch, Moses. Yahweh here breaks Pharaoh's resistance with one final judgment. No matter how recalcitrant his heart, no matter how stony and stubborn he may become against God, there will come a moment when he will be broken. And we should all take notes to be quick, to be broken before him in his goodness. This has been the contest since the beginning of chapter 5 when Moses first said, Yahweh says, let my people go. And what will Pharaoh do at this time when he is broken? It says here in verse 1, one more plague I'll bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here. You know what this is going to be? This isn't just the, the concession on Pharaoh's part. Okay, I guess... This isn't just his bartering. This is, this is Pharaoh being earnest. Please, go. Go now. Be gone. We're done with you. Please. He is willing, even against his will. Pause and think about that. That's the sovereignty of God. It's not a good picture in this case, but it is the reality of one who owns all authority. And notice it says here at the end of verse 1, He will surely drive you out from here completely. Some translations say He will drive you out one and all. What is that referring to here? No more haggling. (laughs) 
like Pharaoh has been doing throughout these plagues. No more bartering, no more negotiation, as Vince and Mike especially have elicited for us to see over the last couple of weeks. You remember all of Pharaoh's uh, half-steps? Yeah, Moses, you can go and you can take everybody. Just take just the men. Okay, okay, all y'all can go, but it's just going to be the adults. No, okay, you, you guys can go and you can take your kids, but, but you can't take any of the livestock. Okay, you guys can go, but it's only the left-handed people. Okay, right? I mean, Pharaoh keeps giving these half agreements before he gives, gives them back. Here he will give them to go completely. Here is full obedience Chapter 10, verse 9, if you just want to peek up a little bit, here was the response of the Lord through Moses in the bartering before. Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We shall go. And so Yahweh says, That's exactly how you'll go. I haven't, I haven't moved the line I set. This is what I commanded. And this is what Pharaoh will willingly, no, desperately want for Israel. One final blow, Yahweh says. Brothers and sisters, this is reminiscent of your deliverance and mine. This is the encouragement for you and for me who are under a covenant by better blood than even that which blood, that blood which sealed the Israelites in Moses' day. In the goodness of God's sovereignty, if you are in covenant with Christ through His blood spilled for you, then, brother or sister, there will be one final blow. And in that day, He will be a deliverer once again, a deliverer once and for all. Here are the words that Paul tells the Christians in Rome near the end of his letter, Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. What a great encouragement. Satan himself, that great adversary much stronger than you, will be crushed under your own feet. And in that one final blow, there is encouragement for all of us who are beleaguered today. We say, I'm weary of fight with my sin. I'm weary of struggle with the broken world. I'm, I'm weary of not being able to get it right I'm weary of every, all the lies I am told. And I'm weary of an enemy stronger and smarter than me who can think ahead of what I'm going to do next and offer the perfect temptation. I am so weary. And Yahweh says, one last time, there will be, friends, a day where there will be one last time. Amen? Yahweh delivers. Verse 1, He's going to deliver a total win. Second, I want you to notice and embrace the second sign of His sovereignty in verse 2. Sovereignty, verse 2. Not total submission, but here, Israel enriched. Israel enriched. Verse 2, Speak now, He says to Moses, in the hearing of the people, that each man ask from his neighbor and each one from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. This is not a surprise. We were told way back in Genesis 15 when the descendants of Abraham for centuries hence would leave their slavery. They would go out with great wealth. Here is Yahweh's sovereignty. 
How do you provide great wealth for a slave people? Answer, you just ask their masters to give them all their best stuff. And then they go. Here he blesses. The Israelites won't go out skimpy. I'm not even going to waste my time to explain why this is not a good proof text for um, the prosperity gospel because that's a whole other sermon. But I think you already know that. Here... Yahweh's just giving Moses words to the people. By the way, this is the only time in all of the plagues where Moses is instructed to speak to the Israelites because now they're going to have to begin to do something, not just watch something. Now they're not just spectators. They will become in this final plague participants, and that's extremely important. But here it's, it's God just preparing Moses and just preparing the people, but we know that in the end, the people will go out enriched. That's entirely God's wealth and God's wisdom. Do you feel like sometimes you don't have enough enough time, enough resources, enough money, enough enough bandwidth, enough emotional uh, reservoir, enough whatever? God is sovereign and sufficient and He knows how to provide it in His time. Third, notice, not only Israel enriched, but now Israel esteemed. Israel esteemed. Again, this passage just sings a victory. It's just a recitation of God having His way. Verse 3, The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So the Israelites here are thought well of. Are you kidding me? The cabin boy? My toilet cleaner? The, the guy who does the unspeakable jobs that nobody else wants to do? What should I think of him? Well, guess what? These Egyptians have been watching for a while. Some of the old rabbis... Uh, made the claim that the plagues from beginning to end took 12 months. I don't know anywhere in Scripture where I know that that's certain, but I don't think they happened all in the same week. And the Egyptians have been watching for a while, and they're starting to figure out there's something about you guys, and there's something about your God. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of Egyptians, and not just the people in general, but Moses specifically, the spokesman of the Lord. Furthermore, Verse 3, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Did you notice, by the way, who is it that's enumerated that is going to greatly esteem Pharaoh? Sorry, Moses? Answer, everybody but Pharaoh. That includes the guys who work in his court. That includes maybe some of his magicians. They're like, we tried doing... Moses' stuff. We tried doing Yahweh's stuff and we were there. We were good for about half a lap. But for the rest of the marathon, man, we are out. Here the Lord gives honor to the man Moses and to the people Israel. In fact, when it says here, the Lord gave the people favor, that very Hebrew word elsewhere is translated as grace. It's an unmerited gift. It's something Yahweh did. Just one more part of his victory because he thought about everything. What lavish, soul-warming, situation-defying grace. Who would think that anybody would think anything of these people? And yet, at their departure, the Egyptians will know there's something, something that the Israelites have that they don't. Sometimes the Lord gives shocking favor to His children, doesn't He? Though public sentiment may howl at your faith, 
May they, they may malign you behind your back. They may literally mock you for how you act and what you do. But friend, don't ever let go. Don't ever relent. Because Yahweh gives honor to His servants. And at certain moments when He chooses, He will even roll back the veil so that it becomes transparent for even those who don't believe to see the favor of God upon His own. What grace it is. Not that we've earned it. Yahweh delivers grace through this covenant relationship. Another sign of His sovereignty in an unfavorable time. Well, what happens now in the passage starting in verse 4 is a revelation is given to Moses. And we're not entirely sure. It could be that these verses are flashback to a revelation that was given just recently before this that's now recorded. Or it's possible that this is a revelation that's given directly and privately and immediately to Moses as he stands there in the very presence of Pharaoh. All we know for sure is by the time Moses gets done with the recitation of it, it is a proclamation spoken directly to Pharaoh, which is why we know all the commentators agree, and I agree with them, that it seems in chapter 11 is Moses still standing there in Pharaoh's presence. And here through this revelation, Yahweh serves notice to Pharaoh He serves notice to Pharaoh about who's sovereign. And I don't know what uh, Pharaoh did for musicals in his court in his day, but maybe, just maybe, he's singing a little tune called Helpless. Exodus 11, pick up in verse 4. No, let me, let me, here, here, let me tell you what I want to see ahead of time. Let's see five more signs, five more signs of God's sovereignty, Yahweh's sovereignty in this passage. The first is there in verse 4. We see Yahweh sovereign in that He does away with using a mediator. No more Moses, no more Aaron, no more staff. Yahweh is going to do this one Himself. 11.4 Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt. No more mediator. Yahweh says, I will let you know. I will let you see. I will demonstrate in a way that no one can doubt that it's me. Yahweh delivers once again. This time He delivers in person. I am going out. You know what, friend? Every one of us will one day come face to face with God. We can dodge that. We can act as though that's not the reality. We can pretend. But every one of us will stand face to face with God one day. And when the veil is removed, who will be able to stand? Only those who are covered in Christ, right? So be prepared. God in His sovereignty rolls back the veil again and He says, I'll go out. Next sign of His sovereignty in verse 5 is that He is Lord. Lord over life and death. Lord over life and death. Verse 5, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. This is the final horrible and terrible plague. It is the climax of all the others. It is the the apex. The final blow will not resemble any natural phenomenon whatsoever. 
There are critical commentators who have fun arguing and have down through the centuries. I don't know. The Nile got like reddish. We know that it overflows its banks and that in the monsoon season there's, there's floodwaters, there are rivers that drag all manner of soil, reddish soil, into the Nile and they turn it red. I don't know. Was it just like red blood-like? Or was it blood, blood, blood? You can figure out for yourself if the Lord decided to use natural phenomena in a way that was supernatural. I absolutely think that's possible, especially in a particular couple of cases. But by the time you get to plague number 10, all discussion is ended. Oh yeah, you remember that thing where, you know, about how every 500 years, just like the oldest person in every family just dies spontaneously on the same night? You know how that always happens. Again, the contest raging since chapter 5 now has its latest installment. Did you notice the latest installment, by the way, of who Pharaoh thought he was? Just look again at the end of chapter 10. Here it is in Pharaoh's Pharaoh's um, despising of Moses. Verse 28. Then Pharaoh said to Moses, Get away from me. Beware. Do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Translation. I could kill you anytime I want. I am God on the face of the earth, and I say who lives, and I say who dies. Is it a surprise that four verses later, Yahweh says, no, I say who lives and who dies. Every tyrant that's ever ruled Whoever thought, I control you because I can take away your life, has never yet been able to take the place of God who says, if you go, it will be at my bidding, at my time, for my purpose, and only then. And so here, the most terrible of all the judgments falls, even as it was promised back at the end of chapter 4. He says, because you have not let my son go, Pharaoh, so I will kill your firstborn son. And as our brothers have done such a great job in tracking through the plagues, once again, this is victory over the gods of Egypt. We've seen it many times before, and all of you are memorizing names like Newt and others. Here's a few more to add to the list to show that the Egyptian gods are not gods. There's Osiris, who is uh, the god of the dead, and Yahweh showing... He doesn't make the decisions I do. There is Isis, whom you've probably heard of, who, among other things, is known as the protector of children. What a tragic thing that she won't have the power to protect these firstborn. Even as Egyptian parents will scream in petition. Acts 17, verse 25, Paul stands there on Mars Hill with all the philosophers and he proclaims before these atheists, it is God alone and He Himself who gives to all people life and breath and all things. Egypt belongs to God. Pharaoh belongs to God. Every firstborn son belongs to God. Every human being on the face of the earth belongs to God, whether they believe it or not. That's what Yahweh is saying here. 
Remember Herod who didn't give praise to God and so he was struck dead and eaten by worms? And you read that verse and you're like, right on that spot? Remember Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit and they fell dead even as the feet of the men who were going to carry out their bodies were standing at the door? Is this a hard truth of God's sovereignty? Yes, it is. Does it leave some questions, even harder questions at times? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it does. But it leaves us before the God who rightly can answer those or who Himself is the answer. In this uncertain world, you can rest in the knowledge that He is Lord over life and death. You can bow in worship in the knowledge that He is Lord over life and death. Verse 6, we see justice as only a perfect judge can mete it out. This is judgment in verse 6. Moreover, he says, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt such as there has not been before and as such, such as shall never be Again, the word for cry, would you be surprised to find out, is the exact same word that was used of what Israel did in the midst of their bitter bondage, their terrible hardship. In chapter 3, twice, and a couple other times later, it speaks of the cry of Israel. Yahweh says, Pharaoh, you have caused my people to cry, so I will cause your people to cry. His judgment is so fitting in this sense. That little word is just giving us an indicator that what we have here is God's justice. How else do we see justice then in what happens? Because we rightly wrestle with the death of the firstborn. We rightly should grieve. We should cry. It is the Exodus event, the Passover night is unspeakable tragedy an unimaginable glory juxtaposed in a way that just causes us to throw up our hands in worship. Should we be heartless about the children that would die? Absolutely not. But notice where Egypt has come to and notice what Pharaoh has brought. Remember this? You might remember this. It's all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16. Remember this command from Pharaoh to the Hebrew midwives? When you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see the women upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. Commanded Pharaoh. You remember six verses later, in Exodus 1, 22, when in his desperation, Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, every son who is born to the Hebrews, you are to cast alive into the Nile Yahweh says, so as you have killed sons without number, Pharaoh, so yours. So yours. All the generations who have been in slavery again, back to the end of chapter 4, Yahweh has said, because you have done this, you have enslaved my people for generations, and so you will forfeit a generation of your people. Fourth, in this section, I want you again see and embrace the next sign of his sovereignty. I want you to see how effortless, how effortless the nation will go out. Not the slightest resistance, at least, at least not initially. Oh, yeah, there are more scenes to the story, but in this act, 
they'll just walk out. Verse 7. But against any of the sons of Israel, the Lord says, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Again, by the way, we wouldn't pick this up in the English and we don't know uh, the, the ancient culture nearly as well, but this wouldn't be missed by any ancient Israelite. Would you be surprised to find out that one of the Egyptian gods, Anubis, you may have heard of him before, he's God of the underworld, uh, you know what form he is uh, most known for taking and uh, is typically carved in? It's a canine. So when Yahweh says, not even a dog shall bark against my people, just one more God add to the checklist that Yahweh is mocking. And what is the purpose of all of this? So that they will know that Yahweh is Lord. The theme of the entire book. It shows up right here in the middle of verse 7. That you may understand is my translation, but it's the same word for know. You may know how the Lord makes a distinction about His people. This will be effortless. The Egyptians will say, go, yes, go, yes, please go, just go. In fact, take our stuff and get out of here. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, you fight you and I fight tooth and nail to overcome sin, to escape our bondage, to try to do what is right, to obey, to be understood. And other times, other times God just shows up and you're like, I can't believe how easy that is. That's our God. It's like Peter in prison. And the angel taps him on the shoulder and says, I don't know, you want to go? Come on, let's go. They just walk out. And it's just that hard. Effortless for a sovereign God. Take courage today, brothers and sisters, in what looks impossible and rest in a sovereign Lord who can win easily. His will and His decrees are never defeated final sign in this section is the sign of a new boss. A new boss in verse 8. Moses now cuts off from his general recitation and speaks directly to Pharaoh. Obviously then still there in his presence. All these your servants, he says to Pharaoh. See all these people? See this court full of magicians and singers and, and dancers and bakers and food deliverers and busboys and whatever else, shoe shiners. All these your servants will come and they'll bow down to me saying, go out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, Pharaoh, then, then we'll go out. What a reversal, right? Where did we begin the book? of Exodus, it's with the Israelites bowing to Pharaoh, right? Metaphorically, they served. They were enslaved. That word for serve is worship. Not willingly, but they served and worshipped Pharaoh under his yoke. What's going to happen at the end? All the Egyptians are going to come and worship Yahweh as they bow before his spokesman. And who can help but not see the reality of Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord, either willingly or unwillingly. There's a new boss in town. It ain't Pharaoh anymore. 
In fact, did you notice the audacity of Moses? The end of verse 8, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. I, th- I thought he was supposed to like be nice. I mean, isn't that, like, isn't that the keynote of being godly, is just to be nice? Yes, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and peace and self-control. But Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and turned over tables. And he called some of those guys really bad names. Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Why? Because at this moment, he is reflecting Yahweh's displeasure with Pharaoh. At the end of chapter 10, when Pharaoh said, Don't you dare see my face again. In the day you see me, you will die. And Moses says, you know what? You're exactly right. These negotiations are over. And oh, how you're going to wish that they weren't. And he goes out letting Pharaoh know there is a new boss in town. And we should meditate on that with profound tragedy for what it means for the nation of Egypt and profound glory for what it means for the nation of Israel and the people of God. There's another king, by the way, who was very Pharaoh-ish. He was the king of Babylon and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. But he will later learn the lesson that Pharaoh here spurns. He will later learn that Yahweh alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in Daniel 4. And then my reason returned to me, and I lift my eyes toward heaven, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven, then among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Amen. Nebuchadnezzar the pagan. Yahweh alone will be known as Lord. In that day, friend, if you know Christ, that day will you will live in and you will see He will be known as Lord. What a day that will be. In Egypt and over Pharaoh, Yahweh forever establishes that He is Lord and Deliverer. Finally, I want you to see and embrace two closing signs of His sovereignty in this passage. You, you can't control who comes after you. you. You can't control your place in history. You can't tell your own story. But you can know the one who will tell the story. Who tells your story. Here Yahweh will tell Pharaoh's story. And what story will He tell about Pharaoh? Yahweh will tell the story of how Pharaoh was enslaved to his idolatry and served Yahweh's sovereignty. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will still not listen to you. I'm adding in the still for emphasis. Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. We've already seen this proclamation. We already know it. But understand, this is Yahweh telling the story. The story will be told of how Pharaoh served the divine glory, not his divine glory. This 
This is Paul in Romans chapter 9 speaking of a truth about Yahweh's sovereignty being demonstrated in that generation in the Exodus. Not just for that generation, but for all time. Listen to his words, Romans 9, 16 and 17. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but it depends upon God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and then he quotes Exodus, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, Pharaoh, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Throughout the whole earth and for all time. Exodus stands as a new revelation, a foundational demonstration of who Yahweh is. His enemies, Yahweh says, only multiply the show of His glory. Remember that next time you find it hard to pray for someone, especially someone who maybe you feel like is despising their maker. Have the eternal vision Yes, should you stand for what's right? Yes, is there a time to speak up? Yes, all those things. I'm not just being nice. I'm asking you to be biblical and to be eternal and to pause and also with whatever other defense you may need to make, pause and bow your knee and pray and say, oh my goodness, friend, you have no idea with whom you deal. Oh Lord God, have mercy on their soul because you only multiply the show of the glory of the one eternal God by all your railing and blasphemy. And may the Lord have mercy on you. Yahweh alone has the rights over all all souls. And He has the right to do with each and every one as He pleases. That's part of what it means to be God. And that's part of Paul's point in Romans chapter 9. And that's absolutely the point of Exodus chapter 11. That truth, by the way, probably makes every non-believer bitter. But so be it. Because that truth is sweet honey to the soul of every believer who's become his child. Because we know left to ourselves, (laughs) we would never know his love. But he has made us know and see. Finally, verse 10 caps it off. And this one is easy. Yahweh is in charge. Yahweh is in charge. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. This is a summary recitation of all of the plagues that Moses and Aaron have been a part of. All these wonders before Pharaoh. And yet, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. The very end of chapter 10. Again, the very end of chapter 11. The passage is extremely clear. Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, we've talked about the mystery of all of this. Was it Pharaoh's doing? Yes. Was it Yahweh's doing? Yes. That we're certain of. Was Pharaoh responsible? Absolutely. Was God entirely demonstrating His sovereign sway over men with, without which or against which they have no choice? Yes. That's what Exodus demonstrates for us. Here the point at the end of chapter 11 is that God is sovereign over hearts. Whatever He determines, He ordains, and then He brings it to pass. Chapter 11, He's just telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. And Moses tells Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. God is determined. He is ordained. And so that's exactly what will happen. 
Remember that next time you read your Bible and you read the promises and you, like I, can be at times are tempted to shrug your shoulders and go ho-hum. No, that's what God has ordained. That's what God is going to bring to pass. That, that, that is what makes us worship and rejoice. We cry out when we see profound judgments and we're right to do so. I don't think God is unfeeling. I also would just note, by the way, at this point, if I need to make a defense, I'll just sow one seed for you to bring to fruition in your time. What about all those poor Israelite, of those poor Egyptians? Sure, maybe. But what have they seen? What do they know? And by the way, did you catch back before the plague of hail? There were some Egyptians that were smart enough to figure out, hey, get all the cattle out of the field. Hey, you guys come into the house. So I'm pretty sure that the God of Israelites of the Israelites is going to do something. The Egyptians were listening. And some of them might already be starting to believe. I just wonder if there's any Egyptians who are going to slaughter goats in the next couple nights, or lambs, pardon me, lambs, and going to place that over their door frame, right? And go, you know, I don't know a lot, but get a lamb. I don't know. I do know that Exodus 12 will tell us that a mixed multitude will go out with the Hebrews. Some Egyptians are going to go. You can fill in the rest. But understand this, even God's most dire judgment being fully deserved is still an act of grace. It is still an invitation. Come, come now before it's too late. Friend, if you're here this morning and these words about God's sovereignty only harden and embitter you, I would say please don't be like Pharaoh. Cry out for mercy because he is willing to demonstrate his grace. And brothers and sisters, if this is a wrestling and a struggle for you, so be it. Let's go to our God with palms upturned and say, you alone are God and thank you that you are. For now, I don't have to be in control. I can rest. I can worship. I can obey and fight the faith in great confidence. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Our great God, in the end of it all, we rest in You, the One who alone delivers. You are Yahweh, Deliverer, and we praise You. We look to You today, Lord, and we ask, would, would You help us? Would You let Your might make us joyful? Would You allow this week reminders of Your sovereignty make us peaceful? When we are prone to micromanage this week and strive and get ourselves all in a tizzy. Let us look to you and Lord God submit and worship. Oh dear friends, this morning the Alps are before you. This week let us live in his wonder. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.